Welcome to Vice and Easy, your podcast for all things Miami Vice, with your host, Marina. Hello, and welcome back to Vice and Easy. I enjoyed my little break off, and I wish I had more season two or season one content to bring. That'll come a little bit later on in the pod. And a quick programming note, my week off was nice, uh, but not great. Let's just say I did not have the luck of the Irish with me. So... <laughs> Three surprise bills, a flat tire, and a car that wasn't mine. That was a loaner car from the dealership. All this drama, no power for two days, had to throw everything out of the freezer. So, yes, we survived the blizzard in California. But uh, it was not the relaxing, you know, week off I wanted. So I will be taking the week off after St. Patrick's Day. So season three, episode three will be a little delayed as my actual like little time to regenerate. I wanted to have a new logo, some merch out. None of that happened <laughs> on my break. So bear with me. I would like to put a little bit more pizzazz into the podcast. Uh, just, yeah, it was just not my week. <laughs> it is now. It is now. And I'm very happy to be reunited. And this is actually a very exciting episode to recap. There is a lot going on, a lot of changes. And now I know that there's kind of a divide in the opinions between season one and two and three, four, five. However, as I'm just going to try and make the best of this situation. And I do come from a very Dick Wolf loyal family. My entire family are huge Law & Order watchers. Old school, not Law & Order SVU, not really like old school, old school, Christopher Noth, Jory Orbach, all that. And I did grow up watching that as well. I just don't watch reruns at the same capacity that my family does. But because Dick Wolf, you could definitely, definitely, definitely see his influence and his touch. And all we can do is just make the most most of it. We can still make fun of the episodes. We can still have fun. Um, but you can definitely see a stark shift just in fashion. So let's get right down to it, shall we? We're going to be breaking down season three, episode one, entitled When Irish Eyes Are Crying. IMDb synopsis is as follows. Gina falls for an Irish pacifist who believes there is no point fighting fire with fire anymore. Or so she thinks. And we open up on this Irish pacifist played by a very young, not super young, but young within terms of his career because he's 34 at this time. Maybe he's 32. I have to double check. I remember I looked up his age. I was like, oh, what? Oh, yeah, definitely 34 because he was born in 1952. He was only 34 when this episode was filmed. And you just forget how blue his eyes are and it was so funny I was talking to one of my Irish girlfriends who I, you know basically this episode is dedicated to her and I totally forgot that he played Oscar Schindler like that's his biggest role I just remember it from like a lot of other things obviously like Star Wars and <laughs> take it like, how did I forget Schindler's list oh my god that aside, we are getting into the troubles as Liam Neeson's character, Sean Caroon, is at a local Miami church. The reason that Gina is there is that Zito and Switek got a tip from Izzy that there'd be an arms deal going on. This is what's going on. You, you tell me if this sounds like an arms deal in this next clip. Our finest 
and our best. Young men, young women are being cut down in their prime by bullets. The bullets of an occupying army. Right, not exactly the arms dealer that I would be envisioning at this time, talking about how he has turned his life around from being a member of the provisional IRA, Irish Republican Army, to now being a pacifist and activist and explaining that the violence still exists from the British Army and that for him, part of the reasons he became a pacifist, not only losing two of his brothers, as he explains later, is that they're using guns against tanks and military weapons. And definitely keep this in mind as this episode goes on. I don't really think I'm spoiling anything, but obviously he's not as pacifistic as he likes and or that he likes to say he is. And I think it's a very interesting scene, too. He's also talking to the priest and the priest, you know, when they're raising money for this. And basically he assures the priest that the money raised will not be going towards bullets, but towards blankets. And then we also have another guest star. We have... Paul Gleason, a.k.a. Principal Vernon from The Breakfast Club. He's going around, waving his pen around, trying to get more people to write checks to help. He actually says a very cute line. I do not know. I don't have a clip of it. I think because they kept playing Imagine the whole time. And I'm like, I don't want to get this episode taken down. And he basically says, like, hey, it might be warm here, but those children in Belfast need winter clothes. (laughs) Which I thought was a very good way to get people to donate. And as the room is illuminated, they're talking, they're socializing, we see a masked man. And again, keep in mind that that ski mask with the holes cut out for the eyes, that was very much part of the look of the IRA. And we see him kind of like careening through, sneaking up the stairs. We don't really know what's going on. Because remember, Sean is having this big talk that he's peaceful now. And him and Gina start making conversation, which says the shooting is still going on. And, you know, they have a nice little discourse where he does say that he wants peace, but that there's little that the Northern Irish can do against the British Army, what have you. And this shooter stands everybody freaks out tells Karun not verbatim sorry I cannot I do not know why I don't have a clip of this I'm so sorry but he says you know why I'm here Gina pulls out her gun and as the masked man turns she shoots him once she gets to the body, she realizes that he's just a kid. Maybe, again, like 16, 17. And then we cut to the intro. When we get back to the episode, Gina's sitting at OCB, really racked with guilt that this is a kid. And even though, you know, who knows what he could have been up to, the fact that he barged into this meeting told Karun, you know why I'm here, with a semi-automatic weapon in his hands, Gina didn't really feel like she had a choice. And what's also worth noting is that Karun, Liam Neeson, I don't like that last name, sorry, but, oops, (laughs) just sounds weird, right? Sean, let's just call him Sean. Sean and Gina are the only ones who don't hide. And again, with his character, we don't get a ton of background into him. 
maybe because he's so used to standing up to the British military presence in Northern Ireland that he's not really scared of this mass, I'm assuming, fellow provisional IRA member. Interesting. But again, they cannot find, sorry, Vice cannot find the serial number on the gun, and they sent his fingerprints to Interpol and both Ireland's. So they have no idea who the kid is, how old he was, or what his reason for being there was. Now, Zeno and Switek are also lamenting the fact that Izzy sent them for this supposed big arms deal that was going on, and the only arms they found was the kid with the gun and Gina. So they're a little bit peeved. Izzy gave us a whole song and dance on heavy-duty military stuff. Don't tell me you listen to Izzy. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, on a more serious note, Castillo talks to Gina, tells her that he wants her to be on beach assignment, which, again, could be a little bit scandalous. Remember Bushido? Like, that was actually a very interesting beach assignment. At night, all sexy, roller skating. Come on. I would do that. Come on, Gina. But she's obviously a little bit rattled. She doesn't want to be. And she's kind of lamenting to Trudy. Both of them have new haircuts. I actually think Gina looks a little bit healthier this season. I could see at the end of season two, she was looking much slimmer than usual. And she's already a very slim woman. Uh, Sorry, Sandra Santiago. And I really appreciate their outfits in this scene. You still get some bright colors. You get some jewel tones. And you still get a little bit of neon from Trudy. So I really like it. And as they're talking, Trudy gets a call from Metro. It's for Gina, and it's Sean. Turns out that Sean has called to meet up because he wants to thank her for saving his life. On the less sexy flip side of the coin, Crockett and Tubbs are going to go pay a visit to Sean, who is staying with his friend, Bunny, yes, Bunny Bennigan, a.k.a. the principal from The Breakfast Club. I do not know who named these characters, so I was trying to look up the writer. So Dick Wolf didn't actually write this. He did the teleplay, which I'm assuming has more to do with kind of like storyboarding and the general idea rather than giving these people the name. Because, <laughs> oh my God, this is how Gina describes Bunny in this next clip. Guy named Bunny Berrigan's house. Big Bugs professional Irishman. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. First things first. Big Bucks Benny Bunny. Oh my God. Big Bucks Bunny Bennigan. Say that five times fast because I couldn't even say it once. Big Bucks Bunny Bennigan. Who, who's naming these characters? <laughs> Again, this is a rich man with a pool in his backyard and fancy cars. His professional Irishman. What does that entail? What is his business? And his name is Bunny. And it's not Bunny in quotes like James Sonny in quotes Crockett. Bunny. Okay, was he baptized Bunny? Because my mom would always be very, you know, made it a point to let me know that you can't baptize children by their nicknames. You can't baptize a kid, you know, by their diminutive. So... You know, I'd always ask, like, oh, why is so-and-so named that? Da-da-da. What's that nickname for? Like, I didn't know a lot of where nicknames came from. So 
like Sally is a nickname for Sarah. I'm like, how how does that work? Why is the nickname longer than the, <laughs> the original name? So I always remember that, that, like, you have to think about how you're going to baptize somebody. And again, if these are Catholic Irish characters, I'm very much betting they've been baptized. And I don't think you'd be baptizing your son, Bunny. If I am wrong, please let me know. If you know someone in your family whose name is Bunny, I would very much love to know and I will eat my words. So they get a little bit more information from Bunny. Totally lost the point point of this. Uh, Let's go check my notes. So Sean has left the house owned by the principal. He was a little bit worried about putting um, Mr. Bennigan, the professional Irishman, and his family in jeopardy. Felt that he could bring danger and that, you know, things were getting too complicated. So Bennigan sly lets them know that he got him a place at the beach, which must be nice. And lets them know that, you know, when Sean turned his back on violence, the provost, the provisional, the provisional IRA issued him a death sentence. So that's something that he'll have to deal with. Now, at the same time, Crockett and Tubbs find Izzy walking a beautiful pack of greyhounds, beautiful, beautiful pack of greyhounds. And <laughs> Izzy still as funny as ever in this next clip. Let's go, Jake. No. Let's go, eh? Not in the store. Not in the store. You have no money. No chocolating. Come on. Let's go. Come on. Get this way. <laughs> you have no money. No chocolate. <laughs> well, dogs shouldn't be eating chocolate anyway. And so they confront him. Izzy looking dapper as ever. I want to say, is that a Panama hat? I need to ask my my boyfriend, the Panama, Panama hat expert in this household. And I really enjoy like the bright yellows that are in this episode. You see Croc with like a mustard yellow. It doesn't look as great at him. But this shade of yellow really works well for Izzy. And again, Izzy has some song and dance that he's taking care of these greyhounds because of his uncle, blah, blah, blah. Probably his uncle was racing these greyhounds, lost custody of them or had to hide them, so forth. But, you know, Izzy's always keeping busy. Izzy's always living a very interesting life. So when Crockett and Tubbs start pressing back, like, hey, what happened to this big arms deal? Izzy retorts that, hey, there were arms there. Ha ha ha. Not as funny to them as it is. Izzy does spit out a name, Max Gleiser, and then they have that to go off of. Off. Gina and Sean take a wild walk on the beach. Please go to the gallery right now. You can find the gallery at the link tree in my Vice and Easy podcast Instagram bio. You can find it on the description, on the show notes of every episode, because this is just an incredibly wild ensemble. Sean, Liam Neeson, his shirt is pretty much completely unbuttoned except for the bottom. So his chest is out on display, completely hairless. Gina is wearing a white dress, white shawl, white shoes, and a white bag. And he's wearing white pants with, I'm assuming, a white shirt that he has in his hand that he's just taking off. Assuming this was a very hot day they filmed. If It's just so wild. Like, who goes for a walk on the beach? <laughs> Uh, you know what? Let's just enjoy this because that's what I said. We're going to enjoy season three for all it is. They are very much playing into the hunk side of Liam Neeson, which I very much appreciate. Now, they get to bond a little bit and we hear a little bit more about Sean's backstory in this next clip. What about you? Brothers and sisters? I've got three sisters. I had two brothers. One was killed by the British, the other one died in the uh, maze hunger strike back in 81. Sorry. 
The hunger strike that he is referring to is referring to the Mays prison hunger strike in 1981, where 10 Republican prisoners lost their life. The most notable one, that's not to diminish anybody's legacy, you might know the name Bobby Sands, who was then posthumously elected to Parliament and whose funeral brought in waves and waves of supporters. And it seems, I might be wrong, please feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, this incident brought further international attention and support for both sides, for the British Army and for the IRA. Interesting fact, which I did not know, Gaddafi was actually quite a large supporter of the IRA in retaliation against Margaret Thatcher, who was part of the bombing that Ronald Reagan was instrumental in that killed one of his sons. So I was like, wow, that's learn something new every day. On a happier note, they are getting dressed up. They're going on a very cute date. Gina has her hair up. She kind of has like a kind of like a sexy female pompadour thing going on. Cute earrings, black dress, black gloves. He's not as well dressed. It's kind of like a gray is a great color on him. But again, with those eyes, I really think you should be leaning into the jewel toes with Liam Neeson. Because like you just have those big, light, ice blue eyes. Then they make it back to his place. They're drinking what I'm assuming is cognac or brainy because they're drinking out of snifter glasses. She says that she has to go. Before she can go, he asks her to stay. Surprise, surprise. They get it on. Now, after the sex time, we pan back to the precinct. Castillo is talking to an agent from Scotland Yard. Castillo is in a very skinny silver tie. And then the agent, Agent Cross from Scotland Yard, comes in to explain his stance and why he's there in Miami. And you can tell that he is very much on the side of the British Army. Crockett does push back when he kind of keeps talking about his points and talking about Sean and what's going on in Northern Ireland. And Crockett does push back and say, like, hey, you know, I think the people of Northern Ireland might disagree with you on that he does say something that definitely catches trudy's attention he says that sean sounds super peaceful but quote most people who end up close to him or Karun, end up dead and that sets off a little light bulb with trudy who knows that gina is spending the night spending the morning spending the day getting it on with Karun as they speak asian cross also mentions that Karun, Sean, Sean Karun, is in Miami, possibly to do something that even the provisional IRA wouldn't touch. Something very interesting to keep in mind. Now, at this time, Crockett and Tubbs go to visit an older gentleman. I don't want to say he's an arms dealer. He's more like an arms broker. But this is the gentleman that Izzy gave them the name for. Tubbs. <laughs> I'm not really feeling Tubbs in the glass. Like, he looks very handsome. I just... The style feels very 90s to me, and I understand this in 1986. We're moving on from the original style of the series. We're moving into a new phase of the show. She's like, ah, oh, I really love Tubbs's New York 70s, like kind of old school style paired with Sonny's 
new, you know, Miami, new money, chic outfits. So that is a little sad to say goodbye to because I feel, I still think that Tubbs looks better back then. Now, I totally forgot Tubbs's pseudonym, but basically Sonny as Burnett and Tubbs as, I believe he's claiming to be South African in this, when they're talking with the arms broker, trying to get a little bit more information, they want who the dealer is, and there are some framed guns on the wall. The office isn't as wild as I like, but definitely take a look at the gallery, because it's a little bit wild. And the only provision that the broker has is that he must go meet the dealer alone. Alone, meaning Sonny has to go meet him alone. And we'll get back to that in a second because we are going to take a little trip back to Gina and Sean and catch up on some pillow talk in this next clip. You know, I was 15 when I killed my first Brit. <laughs> Sorry, I understand that it's a scary. A time and a place, my friend. But you know what? I guess, to be fair, like, that's how you really learn about a man is sharing a pillow. <laughs> and then he continues to lay it on thick. I guess would this be the 1980s equivalent of love bombing? I don't think they had a word for it back then, but they are moving a little fast in this next clip. Now all I want is peace and a woman to love. It's not an offer. I stay alive, I will be. Now again, I'm not sure when Sonny and Rico went to go visit this arms broker, but in my mind, Gina has been there for like 24 hours, <laughs> taking the day off work, just, you know, really, really making a go of it. And who can blame her? <laughs> so on her walk of pride, because again, this is Liam Neeson, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in Vice T. Tubbs comes up to her. He wants to let her know what he found out at the precinct. And I'm kind of on Gina's side in this one, in this next clip. What about him? He's a terrorist. And a guy from Scotland Yard came in Tuesday. His name is Cross. He said that Corona is a stone killer. Yeah, well, that's all in the past, Rico. He's changed. All he wants now is peace. Oh, come on, Gina. You bought that? It's a war, just like any other, and it's been going on for hundreds of years, long before the British Army got involved. You show me a warrant, and then I'll back off. Otherwise, I have to follow my instincts. I think you're too far out, Gina. And so does Sonny. <sighs> oh, yeah, that's just great. That's just great. Sonny would be real objective. Uh, yeah, 100% team Gina here. Obviously, spoiler, I know this episode ends. But at the end of the day, she's allowed to do whatever she wants. There is no proof that he's actually actively with these weapons yet. This is all hypothetical. She knows about his past. She knows that he has changed. This is what he is telling her. Also, Sonny didn't want to commit to her. Sonny never wanted to make her his girlfriend. He just basically used her as plan B with Caroline and then with Brenda. So no, who does he, who is he going to be judging her new boyfriend? So I'm 100% team Gina on this one. Now, Bunny Bennigan, sorry, is actually walking out of 
a travel agency and is just such a throwback. Not only just the travel agencies, just look at the facade with the big number printed on the front and the signs. That's like, oh, what a time. What a throwback. He's getting into a black testarossa. And I did like there's one screenshot I made of just him walking regularly so you can see the facade. And then it turns into a negative. So it's like polarized. And I was like, it's like when you're watching a true crime documentary, it's like they had a beautiful, loving marriage with three children. Nothing could go wrong. Dun, dun, dun. And then they like they they make the picture into a negative. They polarize. It's like until now. That's exactly what I thought. <laughs> Speaking of Ferraris, as Bunny Bennigan is getting into his black Testarossa, Sonny is driving the Daytona down to, once again, possibly the Everglades, just some incredible dive bar in the middle of nowhere. Now, this is me looking at it from a bartender's perspective. What I notice is that there's this giant neon sign by the bar that says, Beer on Tap. Everyone is only drinking bottled beer, and it seems to be one brand. I don't see any taps. I don't see a tower. I did look at the menu, 75 cent fries. I think it was like $2 hot dogs. And the menu is just sharpied on the bottom of like the metal baking pants. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is wild. There's a girl on a swing pool table. And then we have our arms dealer. I believe it's Eddie K with these piercing blue eyes. And they are real because the actor, oh my God, what's his name? I just had it. Jeff Fahey? Yeah, Jeff Fahey. He was in Lost. He's been in lots of other things. And he still has those, like, beautiful light blue eyes. Like, it's just, like, huskies. More piercing than Liam Neeson. This is just an episode of Eyes. I love it. Just, like, the most blindingly icy blue eye contest that you could ever imagine. And so Sunny asks about you know, where can I meet this Eddie K, the bartender, quote, the guy, the guy who's running it, the manager, the owner, all three. You know what? Actually, I should take that back. The bartender, the cook, the cashier, the security. He points Sonny over to Eddie's direction, walks by the girl on the swing. As soon as Sonny stands at the table trying to introduce himself to Eddie K, this girl's all over him, putting her hands all over him, kissing him. Sonny is a fool in many ways, but he's much more street smart than she takes him for. Because as she's kind of pulling her hand away from him slowly, he grabs her wrist, opens up her palm, and takes back the wad of money that she pickpocketed from him. <laughs> After that little uh, ruse, she stands over next to Eddie, possibly his girlfriend, possibly just... There's some girl hanging out there. He says that she's putting herself through school. Well, she's smart. She knows how to pickpocket. <laughs> but maybe not on, you know, an undercover vice cop. So Sonny claims that he's brokering the deal on behalf of South African buyers because Eddie wants to know who's, quote, playing with his toys. Back in Miami proper, Zito and Swiatek are doing a little bit more reconnaissance on Bunny, sorry, Mr. Bennigan and Mr. Caroon as they hop out into what looks like a very fun Jeep Wrangler. What's that? What's that V8 Jeep? I always forget. I think it's like a Jeep Rebel Jeep Renegade. It looks very fun. It kind of looks just like a fun, sporty, four-wheel drive SUV. And with that, we cut to Agent Cross and Castillo having lunch 
with the Jan Hammer music from, I believe, Give a Little, Take a Little, when they're in that burlesque club. I believe this is the same music. I was trying to look it up online. I'm like, I swear it's the same music. Sounds very familiar. Where uh, Agent Cross of the Scotland Yard makes his point very well known. And let's give it up to Castillo for being on the right side of history in this next club. Mine is too. England is under siege from terrorists. And I know who they are. I just want the tools to strike first and strike hard. Preventive detention to start with. The Irish have rights. Uh, yeah, they do. So I was doing research for this episode, and in 1971 came the introduction of internment without trial, which naturally did not work out well. And this is what Agent Cross wants to do with Karoon, or wants to help implement... I should be able to put a bullet in his ear wherever I find him. Not in Miami. You do know what's going to happen, don't you? No. One day, Karun or one of his cronies is going to go so far over the line that I will be given that power. You don't like me, do you? It's not my job. Castillo is standing in for all of us. I must also say they found the most stereotypical British looking person to play Adrian Cross. They're like, would you like to play a Scotland Yard agent with no redeeming quality? (laughs) Sign me up. Oh, man. And uh, with that, we go back to the beach where Zeno and Switek have followed Bennigan and Karoon. They're trying to listen into the conversation they're having as they're walking along the beach. They can't properly hear, but we as the audience get a little bit of a glimpse. Now, it turns out, unfortunately, Gina was not right, as Karun is talking to Bennigan, saying that blowing up department stores gets us nowhere. And his eyes follow a plane leaving from Miami International Airport across the water. Back at the precinct, Trudy, Crockett, Tubbs, Castillo, and the Scotland Yard agent, Cross, are talking, and the Scotland Yard agent wants more from Gina. He thinks that Karun is going to pump her full of information. He wants all the information he can get from Gina. Once again, surprise, surprise, nobody at Vice or OCB likes this guy at all in this next clip. He'll pump her for everything she knows. Hey, you. We'll take care of our own. You got it. Maybe Gina is right. So far, all we've got is talk from you. You've got no warrant, you've got no proof, you've got nothing. That's enough. What if she is right? What if she is? What if Karun has changed? What about her? So it's just that meme, you know, of like the two hands shaking. It's just like Gina and Crockett and sleeping with terror. (laughs) Crockett did the same thing. I don't think it was at that same level, obviously, but with the British woman... She had, I believe, there was some kind of attack on Greenpeace. So yeah, Gina Crockett just, you know, (laughs) shaking hands over that. They can't commit to each other, but hey, they got one big thing in common. Now, Mr. Crew and Mr. Bennigan are at the arms dealer. Again, the fancy one. Let me call him the broker, the broker. They had a previous deal. They wanted some arms in a week. However, things have changed in this next clip. I don't think that's going to represent a major problem. 
dear. <laughs> oh, no, it wouldn't. But there seems to be a bit of a run on this particular item. Ah, now I understand. Would 100% markup put us in first position? I need full payment before delivery. Half of it's right here, Max. The rest of it will be sent over as soon as the banks open. Let me make a call. They really, really, really want these weapons. Now, what is it exactly that they're gunning for? It's a stinger, basically a missile launcher. And I guess there's not a lot going on in Miami because this is the same weapon that Crockett as Burnett is trying to procure from this same dealer. So the broker is making call to the dealer. Now that he's getting a ton more money than Burnett was willing to offer, their paths are definitely going to cross. And so, speaking of, we cut to Burnett and whatever Tubbs is going by, meeting up with Eddie Kay, the dealer, in what looks to be kind of like the middle of nowhere, maybe a quarry, somewhere where it's like very sandy, isolated. And again, we just heard the conversation between the broker and the dealer. We know that the broker was able to take some stingers for his very wealthy clients, Mr. Bennington and Mr. Caroon, who are offering top, 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 top dollar to get it in ASAP and taking it from Burnett's order. Interesting. So obviously Burnett and whatever Tubbs is going by definitely noticed there are a few stingers short and I don't really want to deal with the excuse. Then Burnett notices the date that these stingers are from 1980. Pushing back a little. Like what kind of quality of these arms are they selling? Burnett is pissed in this next clip. Stingers, pal. Stingers. That's what we ordered. That's what we paid for. That's what we want. These are dated 1980. So? So? We look like we just fell off a cabbage truck or what? They've been on the shelf six years. So what? The Missouri was 45 years old. Lebanese didn't know the difference. How do I know these are going to go bang? You worried about that? Yeah, I think that's a reasonable concern. Ooh, what's in that box you just opened, you asked? Why it's a stinger. Now, this is a super iconic scene that even people who don't even watch the series know. Eddie Kay takes the stinger, points it at the Daytona parked quite far away, not super close. Like, they they definitely had distance when they met up. Blows up the Daytona in front of Crockett, and this is the super iconic gift that got made into a meme of Crockett taking off his sunglasses super slowly, looking at the wreckage, then Tubbs smiling, happy. We'll take it. <laughs> oh my god. So obviously Burnett is pissed. Goes back to argue with the broker. And they push back and keep asking about who got their hands on their stingers. Now the broker is trying to defend the dealer, saying that Eddie Kay was a little bit insulted, that you insulted his merchandise. You know, it's just a little bit of ego. 
And Burnett gets very sneaky, and I like this. He basically opens up this cabinet, this glass cabinet of figurines, holds this figurine, and when the broker kind of pushes back, it's like, oh, that's priceless, tosses it over his shoulder. I have a me- I have a gif of him just tossing over his shoulder. And then finally, basically, he was able to say the name Sean Caroon. Now, again, they know that this is serious because not as if Sean Caroon, they brought up the name Sean Caroon. How could he have just pulled that name out of the air? So unfortunately, we go back to the precincts. Crockett has to give the bad news to Gina. But first, they are just making the information that they have and trying to figure out what's going on. Per Zito and Switex, recon. Bennigan went to the travel agency for transatlantic plane schedules. He's gone to London multiple times in the past year, taken out a lot of money. So apparently the Concorde didn't leave when he wanted that fit with his schedule. So he went straight to the airport to get the schedule. Interesting. Also, I was not alive, but the Concorde didn't fly to Miami. It was London, Paris, New York. Those were the only stops from what I can remember. Because it was London to Paris and then, oh my God, sorry, it was New York to Paris, New York to London. Because the whole big thing was that Phil Collins was able to play Live Aid in the UK and then Live Aid in Philadelphia by taking the Concorde. I no longer exists at Fold in 2002. I never sadly got to fly in the Concorde because that's big money. But that would have been super cool to be able to fly to... Western Europe in three, three and a half hours. Pretty sweet. Now, naturally, my feelings about the Concorde are different from those of Agent Cross in this next clip. Concorde is as much a symbol of England as the Queen. This is exactly what I was talking about. If people would wake up, we'd have the power to grab Karun now and lock him up. Hey, Cross, we don't play by your rules over here. See what the people of this country want when car bombs start going off in your major cities. So you still won't do anything? None to place him with the weapons. Cross is really pushing for this internment without trial, obviously, which goes against the tenets of our justice system where everyone is innocent until proven guilty. And again, they need to be able to place him with the weapons to get any charges to stick. Like, yes, there's conspiracy charges, but they don't have enough information to properly get those conspiracy charges to stick. And again, in the grand scheme of things, you're just trying to stick charges that have the most jail time or the most severe punishment in hopes of getting some charges to stick as opposed to just getting a small flimsy charge that you could get, you know, written off by probation. So, yeah, Agent Cross is not making friends at all in Miami. Now, Gina getting this super unsettling news, but they want her to keep the date because they want everything to appear the same. So Gina has to go meet with Sean that very night. Her and Crockett have kind of a sweet, tender moment where Crockett goes over, gives her a kiss on the forehead, asks her if she'll be able to maintain for the night, maintain her composure, maintain her sanity. Now let's go to this rented apartment hotel that he has. The decor in the patio is pretty cool. You got purple, pink, blue. You got a little bit of mullet going on from Liam Neeson over there. 
They talk and he can tell that she's been distant the whole night. She makes up some excuse that her friend is very sick and she's not in the mood. Basically trying to appear normal, but obviously her being unable to make passionate 24 hour long love to him like she did last time. <sighs> so internally, she knows that he has plans to blow up the Concord, that the beach that he and Bennigan were walking on is where they're planning to do their attack because the beach is in the direct flight path leaving from Miami International Airport. And they know that the Concorde is leaving in the morning. When Gina and Sean are talking and they're kind of talking about rescheduling because obviously Gina's so devastated by the news, but she can't tell him because she has to keep everything normal. He says that he has an appointment in the morning, but he'll be free at 1030. And just the way he delivers that line, knowing that he's planning to blow up the Concorde with passengers in it. Oh, oh my God. Whew. Yeah, so obviously she just like freaks out and runs. Uh, same. So we see Asian Cross still fully clothed. He still has his, oh my God, what are they called? The holsters on? Drinking scotch by the shot maybe it's whiskey i couldn't really tell by the label and tries to turn on the tv turns it off gets really frustrated makes a call hear the phone ringing hear the phone ringing hear the phone ringing liam neeson fresh out of the shower picks up the phone very surprising hello they know about the beach they know who the hell is this? Who's talking? Ooh, okay. That was a plot twist I did not see coming. Now we go back to the precinct where we're kind of figuring out how we're going to plan this. They know a little bit of recon that they're planning to meet at a garage. Then they're going to go from the garage to the beach. So we have Zito and Switek. We're going to go undercover in the van stake out the garage then we're gonna have crockett and tubbs naturally in tubbs's car follow them as well and castillo doesn't want gina to be with Caron or in the vicinity when it all goes down kind of obviously hurts gina a little bit inside but you know i understand that'd be incredibly tough now they set gina and trudy in this super cool room where they're mapping out where everybody is so they're all on walkie talkies letting each other know where they are and gina and trudy and trudy has the marker and she's marking it down on this clear map of miami and you can see the interstates you can see the freeways you can see all the major thoroughfares as she's marking down where everybody is stationed super cool also we got some fun chase music courtesy of jan hammer in this next scene it looks like the testerosa is headed toward caroon's hotel coming your way sonny See him yet? Just driving in. So later on throughout the chase, we got Eddie K, we got Sean, and we got Bunny meeting at the parking lot. They park next to the van that the arms dealer has. They kind of switch back and forth, taking things out, taking things out. Then we see the van leave the parking lot. That's where Crockett and Tubbs are tailing. We also have Castillo and Agent Cross in the helicopter. 
So Croc and Tubbs and the helicopter are going to the beach. Again, this is where they predicted that everything would go down and happen. Only once the van pops open, only Eddie and Bunny are at the beach. So where's Sean? When Castillo calls up from the helicopter, that's Miami Vice, and to put down your weapons, that does not happen. They shoot back at the helicopter, and Crockett and Tubbs arrive just in time to take down Bunny and Eddie, and Bunny has a very hilarious death scene where he just kind of, like, stumbles, and I made a gif of it. I laughed much harder than I thought I would, and I believe they pulled out a Mac 10 like, it looked like a pretty powerful thing they were pulling onto the helicopter, and once Croc and Tubbs are on the scene, going through everything, they realize that one of the stingers is missing. Trudy chatting about a phone call with the guy that's also working in the same room as them, logging everybody's information. She relays that information to Castillo in this next clip. You're under arrest. What are you talking about? Karun's hotel phone. I had it checked out. We called him last night. That's insane. Concord gets taken out. Mr. Cross figures he'll be allowed to do things his own way. I only checked to see if he was there. We never spoke. I don't think so. Wild excuse if I've ever heard one. So basically, in short, Cross didn't really care what happened with the Concord. Cross wanted this to happen so that he could leverage it to take away and to implement what he wants to implement and take away the right to a fair trial or the right to avoid internment and push that internment without trial that he was talking about. And be able to take that back to Scotland Yard and use that to further their reach. His reach, maybe specifically, but I'm assuming also their reach. Whew. Well, however, at the same time, they are now racing to get back to the garage. Once they've figured out that they can't get a hold of Zito and Spytech and there's a vantage point from the garage where you can see the tarmac in the airstrip at Miami International... Gina freaks out. She's closer, so she said that she can beat Crockett and Tubbs to the garage. Again, Gina was not supposed to be involved in this. For a good reason, I would be incredibly conflicted and incredibly hurt if this were me too. Maybe I'd say more hurt than conflicted. And as Crockett and Tubbs race to the garage, they find Zito and Switek. Zito's unconscious, Switek's been gagged. Zwitek lets them know that he's up on the roof. Gina pleads her case with Sean, and Sean does not take this seriously, as you can hear by his laughter in this next clip. Never don't make me kill you, please. How can we? Gina, come on. Sean, Sean. Yeah, his attitude, like he's kind of joking around the way he says, Sean, and... Gina, again, like, begging him, like, don't make me kill you. Please step away. You haven't done anything yet. And I'm really trying to figure out here whether or not Sean actually really liked Gina or just used her as a pawn once he realized that she was a police officer in a way to kind of divert the attention away from him and find out, you know, what 
she knew. I, I'm still figuring out whether or not it's genuine. Him love bombing her a little bit kind of made me think no, but that's tough. Or maybe he just wanted both. You know, maybe he always came to Miami with this plan, but he still really liked her and he thought that he could get away with it. And yeah, well, unfortunately for Gina, he doesn't seem to be changing his mind in this next clip. Not your war, Gina. Not your war. Well, and as she's pleading that, he reaches into his pockets. Crockett is already stationed, has a really good vantage point. And as Sean takes out his gun, I believe that he does notice Crockett. So he's, he's slowly moving. Gina shoots him before Crockett does. Crockett's like cocked, ready to go. Gina shoots him kind of funny gif of him falling off the roof of the garage then hits the pavement and and quite an interesting show of symbolism my boyfriend noticed there's a painting on the road of a split like a, a fork in this oh my god a fork in the road a split and just kind of a way that the way his body's positioned that he chose the wrong way and also, I appreciate the fact that you can see Liam Neeson moving his head after he's fallen on the ground from several stories up and would probably be covered in chunks of disgusting debris and blood and all that. But, whew. and then at the end of the episode, Gina's bawling while Crockett holds on to her and comforts her, having to make an incredibly difficult decision. But ultimately, she made the best decision for her and she made the right decision. decision. And she followed her instincts like she said she would. Didn't hold her right at the beginning of this episode, but she did follow it correctly at the end of the episode. And the episode cuts on Sunny and Gina embracing. And we are now in season three. That is the episode. Now, as promised, I have some very fun vice tea on Liam Neeson. Send the kids out of the room because we are getting nc17 or 18 plus for us canadians in this vice tea and now liam neeson we all know him from his incredibly packed resume born raised in northern ireland kind of started acting in the mid 80s in america quite a few number of ex-girlfriends Julia Roberts he was of course married to Natasha Richardson who unfortunately died as a result of an injury she sustained while skiing up in Quebec I want to say it was around 2009 2010 and it was an incredibly sad story because she was skating on a bunny hill and just fell and hit her head and didn't think anything of it because, again, you know, you're just on a bunny hill. You're kind of on the beginner hill. And unfortunately, she died as a result of that head injury. So he is an incredibly handsome, successful father, widower. And I was reading Janice Dickinson's memoir. I want to say it was late high school, early college, because that would have been like kind of exactly my height of gossip. She wrote in her memoir that she hooked up with Liam Neeson he unzipped his pants and an Evian bottle 
fell out and that he had the largest penis she had ever seen and that he was so beautiful and handsome and charming and then just endowed to the extreme. And again, she had hooked up with Sylvester Stallone, all these other celebrities. And Liam Neeson is the most infamous one out of all of them. And I will attach just some like, you know, gossip stories and stuff like that about him just being the most well-endowed man in Hollywood. But you know what? I love it because like this was the man who played Oscar Schindler who is known as being sweet, professional, loving husband and big cock, big heart. <laughs> oh, whoops. Oh, I dropped my monster condom that I used for my magnum dong. And it's hard for any of the other guest stars to tough that I was reading up on Jeff Fahey and those incredibly blue husky eyes. He was on Lost. He was on Justified. And I believe also a trained ballet dancer and raised in Buffalo, New York. Very interesting. Still currently acting to this day. His IMDb is packed. Now, let's get to some fashion. (laughs) We have a new category this week. Best Dressed. This episode, we have Best Undressed, which is Liam Neeson answering the fool in a towel. Hello, you have to speak up. I'm wearing a towel. Then we also have, for the Best Dressed Women, naturally I picked Gina and Trudy because I really liked their outfits at the beginning of the episode at the precinct where we see Trudy's new haircut. She's in pink and yellow. Gina is in black and like a slate blue. And then I also, for decor, I really love the exterior where Crockett and Tubbs meet up with Izzy. And you just see this beautiful Art Deco pink and blue building in the background with a green trash can. And then everything is like the bright yellow curb. So I guess that's all loading zone. Maybe it was done by production team. But I just really love that exterior. That was kind of tied with the patio on or Karun's patio by the beach, but I couldn't really get a good visual of it. Like, I wish they'd kind of pan to more of it or more of, like, the gaudiness of it. But, so right now, I'm going to have to give it to the Sundry Shop. And then, my wild card is for my best-dressed hustler for our girl who was pickpocketing Crockett when he walked into the extremely divey bar in, I'm assuming, the Everglades. I really did love her dress. I loved her earrings. I loved her makeup. Very beautiful girl. Now, let's get to music. We only have three you know, non-Jan Hammer songs. We have Imagine by John Lennon. Um, we have Patti LaBelle and Will Champlain. Am I pr- Champlain? Champlain? Champlain. With The Last and Broken Heart. That was the very cheesy song during the lovemaking scene, also during the end. And then we have Wild Cats of Kilkenny by The Pogues, which I was not able to get a clip of just because I didn't want to have an explosion song at the same time. And I still don't know why I didn't make a clip of that, but too late now, unfortunately. But I kind of want to give it to Jan Hammer because this Irish theme song is like half offensive and half catchy, as you'll hear. (laughs) Is that even Jan Hammer? What is that? (laughs) 
I guess, honestly, I'd give it to the post. At least, you know, a few of the members were Irish. Uh, the Patti LaBelle song was incredibly cheesy, and I did very much like that. And the final scene kind of reminded me of Sons of Anarchy in the pilot, and then, again, another episode where Jack shoots Tara's stalker ex-boyfriend, and they have crazy passionate sex next to the dead body. <laughs> and it's like, oh, wow. And so that's why I was like, I understand that Crockett was there and he could do it. But this, the optics of your ex-boyfriend killing your current terrorist boyfriend don't really look good. And I really did want Gina to have that agency for herself, not to wait for Sunny to come to her rescue. Also, I like that Sunny did have her back against Agent Cross. So I will give Sonny credit this episode, even though I was, you know, being a little judgy of him, disapproving of Gina's choices, romantic choices, when he kind of hung Gina out to dry. You can tell that I'm very mature and I'm not reading into this too much or taking it personally because of something that's happened to my past. (laughs) Again, never be somebody's plan B. You always want to be their plan A. You never deserve to be anybody's backup. You should be their first choice, their main course, and their top prize. And with that, I bid you adieu. We are coming to the end of our episode for season three, episode one. Irish eyes are smiling. We'll be back in possibly a week or two. I might be taking that little break after the week after St. Patrick's Day for some proper R&R without a flood or power outage or a blown tire. So fingers crossed. I would have a few books I'd like to finish. And with that, Thank you for sticking around. We are going to be excited to get into season three and four and five. Just because Miami Vice is changing doesn't mean that we still can't enjoy the rewatch and enjoying it for what it's giving us. Again, you can follow me and like me and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow, like, subscribe to me on YouTube. You can follow me on all things social on TikTok at Instagram at Vice and Easy Podcast. Thank you again for listening, for telling your friends, for leaving great five-star reviews. It really means a lot. And I'll definitely see you next time. Hey, man, Miami Wise is number one new show.